Hey, Phoenix LeFay, how's it going? Peachy. Peachy? Yeah. Oh, okay. How well, are you? I'm doing all right. I'm really looking forward to tonight's show. Oh, what what is tonight's show? Uh, as if you don't know. <laughs> I really don't. Oh, well, maybe you don't. So tonight we're talking about skulls, bones, antlers, and other sort of curios that are related to body parts, human or otherwise. How's that for a Sawani show? So what are we talking about? <laughs> Well, um, let me see if I can say this again. Skulls, mm. bones, yeah. antlers, curious bits of, you know, fingers and hair and other bodily bits, human or otherwise, that we as witches often have on our altars or uh, strewn about our house or that we use in spells. So we're talking about curios. Yeah, that's oh. what I said. Yeah, curios. Okay. Yeah. Well, then you said Samhain. Is that not a Samhain topic? And so I got very confused. Oh, well, I meant like how more samhain could it be if we're talking about skulls and stuff? Mm. You know, it's pretty samhain don't you think? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be. You could listen to this in uh, July if you want. Yeah. It's not samhain tide at all, but uh seems kind of samhain to me. Okay. All right. I didn't actually know that samhain was an adjective, but apparently it is. All right. Well... So, I was thinking about this. Uh, when I look about our home, if I look at most of the altars, or many of the altars, we've got curios. We've got um, artifacts. What's the definition of a curio? Uh, well, go on then. What do you think No, I mean, like, legit. What's the definition? I know what a curio is from a magically speaking point. A curio is a curio- curiosity. Uh, something, an yeah. odd little bit, but I'm curious what curio actually stands for. I'm going to look it up. Curio. This is fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> A rare, unusual, or intriguing object. There you go. Okay. There you go. So, uh, there's quite a rich history of this, right? So, if you, again, if, if we go back to looking around our home on, on virtually every altar, or many of them at least... We've got a collection of things like that. So from we've got a magical cabinet, which houses all sorts of bits and pieces. Now, right in the middle of it, we've got um, a facsimile of a, of a skull. You know, it's a model of a mm-hmm. skull, and it's highly decorated in sort of a Tibetan kind of flavor. You know, a decorated skull, like an etched skull. But above it, we've actually got a real ram's skull. We've got several sets of antlers that we found and we also have a collection of various bones there's some lamb bones there's uh deer deer mm-hmm. boar like a boar's jaw mm-hmm. i think we've got um a raven's head mm-hmm. right so we've got all, and most of these we've I have collected some random seabird skull that i don't really know what it is yeah probably a seagull right maybe yeah so we've got all of these sort of bits and bobs around and then we've also got you know we've got the ashes of our of some pets that have gone before us, uh, and we've also got some hair from right. those uh, from those animals. Fingernail. Well, I guess they're nails. They're not fingernails. Poor, poor nails, foot nails. Yeah. So we've got we've got all of these around our home, and and we do use them for more than decoration. Um, the antlers specifically, we we often tend to use when we're um, sometimes we use in ritual. You know, they'll become an altarpiece. Some of them have got um, be- 
bells or strings or uh, other things connected to them. So we mm-hmm. make rattles out of them. And I was just thinking, why? You know, why do we why do we have all these things? Like from a witch's perspective, not why do we particularly have them? Mm-hmm. But you know, I think it's pretty true of most witches that we know have got some sort of bone in their home. <laughs> That's a odd turn of phrase. Mm. So, what do you think the fascination is with uh, with bones and antlers and skulls and things like that? Um, well, I guess there's a few things. A few different ways to look at that. I mean, people who are involved with witchcraft or, and or paganism tend to be kind of outliers to begin with. You know, it's not a mainstream religion. It's not a mainstream um, concept. It's a little bit out. What is not? Paganism and witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you tend to be drawn to the things aesthetically that are also a little bit outside of the mainstream you know sure there are plenty of folks that um have deer heads or whatever that are hunters um that may have things like that in their home and that's that is a trophy right where i don't know a lot of witches although i do know a lot of witches slash pagans that hunt and they keep trophies but it's more of a reverence reverential relationship with the creature as that's life they took rather than um look how brave i am i killed this thing with a gun type of yeah you know look at my trophy so i don't know i think a outsiders like outsidery type things but also bones and shells and and bits of fur and things like that they're natural things there there are kin you know the animal kingdom kin the 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 other mammals or whatnot that live on that we share the planet with and so there is this almost symbolic relationship you might not have a deer for a pet but you can have an antler in the house and it's it still keeps you in connection to what that animal represents right it's like so is that what you think it is that it's um you know having a having a ram skull for instance or a raven's claw or turkey foot or whatever it is that it somehow connects you to the um that particular animal that maybe you've got an affinity with I think that's part of it sure if you have an affinity with an animal you know, my dad's really into animal relationships what you know what Someone less aware might refer to as a totem. That's what my dad calls them, but that's not what they are. You know, they're his spiritual affinities with specific animals. Uh, And so I often look for animal bits that are of those animals to give him his gifts because it, it, for him, it's like a part of his like spiritual practice to have pieces of those animals that he feels akin with, you know? Um, But I also think, if you're looking to take on the energy of that animal, if you need to be more powerful, more courageous, maybe you get a hold of a lion's tooth. And I know that all of this is like kind of a you know making an asterisk comment here. Um, this is a complicated topic, and people have very strong feelings about having access to certain things, certain animal and human pieces. Um, you know that they're. There are ways to do it as ethically as possible, but at the end of the day, you are talking about having bits of a dead creature. 
So, you know, you have to decide ethically what feels okay to you personally. Yeah. I mean, there's a big difference between finding a skull of a bird on a beach mm-hmm. and going to uh, another country and shooting something that's the last of its kind, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you can go online and in certain stores and and purchase bones and bits of creatures that you may not have any idea of how they were sourced so but there are ways to find out how things were sourced too so it you know it is it is that age-old pagan witchcraft conundrum of the ethically sourced materials and how do you know and how do you find them and do you care because maybe you don't And, and uh personally i don't judge i don't i don't it's not none of my business what you're doing um I do have some rarer curios that I have a beautiful kinship with that um, have I don't know their backgrounds, you know. So. Yeah. So outside of that that question, because yeah. you often go to ethics and could spend hours talking about ethics. <laughs> well, and- you know, it's going to come up. Someone's going to listen and be like, "But you didn't talk about blah," and I just feel like let's get it out of the way. There you go. Okay. So now it's done. <laughs> I want to go back to that again. All right. So look. It, so outside of sort of an affinity, all right, yeah, great. So I, I want to run like a deer, so I'm going to have a deer skull. I don't know, right, or a deer foot, whatever. Um, what's the kind of magic that you can do with some of these cures? How do you use them? Not like what could people do, but you specifically. What magic have you done with fur or skull or hair or teeth or, you know, whatever it is? Yeah, I, for the most part, they for me personally – the the bones and things that I have are altar pieces. So I have a lot of bones on my ancestral altar. Um, a lot of the bones on there are bones I've personally collected being out and about. So they're, you know, deer and bird and I think I found a cow vertebrae in a field once. You know, things like that. Um, like rarely, occasionally over my life, I've used some fur or a bit or a feather or whatever as a as a spell you know kind of like um creating a little charm bag to help me take on more of the energy of that of that animal to connect with that if a an animal has a particular kind of attribute yeah like i was you know like the lion paw or whatever you know if you if you're looking for courage and you come across a lion bone and you can put that into a charm bag or wear it on your neck or put it in your pocket or whatever and when you touch it or hold it or connect in with it you can connect in with that same energetic you know the same can be done with a crow's feather that you find on your walk or you know you name it a a deer's bone if you're looking for more grace or um you know you name it like every animal's got attributes and and you just have to look at that animal and how it is in the world and whether it's a predator or prey, where it is in the food chain and what it eats and what eats it. And that gives you a ton of information on its spiritual energetics. You know, it's a deer is not sitting on the mountain chanting and doing mantras and trying to become one with the universe. <laughs> Wait, what? A deer just is. But you can look at a deer and see its grace, its patience, its calm. It's sometimes it's paranoia. Right. Also very strong, right? Like their ability oh to run and jump. They and, jump. Oh my yeah. god! Have you ever seen a deer jump? I've seen a uh, deer. I've seen a deer standing still, and then jump over a six foot fence. Yeah. Just like, not run and leap, just jump. Yeah, from Crazy. standing there. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So, um, 
you've used some of the bits and pieces mm-hmm. uh, in um, uh, in spell works or charm bags or wrapped wire around them and worn them as a necklace or mm-hmm. things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, there is a, you know very much a connection, a visceral connection to the process of of death and dying, and it's not that I'm fascinated with that, but you know when I look at you. I see beautiful blue eyes. I see, uh, you know, a lovely aquiline nose. You know, I see all the fleshy bits of you that are lovely. But of course, <laughs> underneath that, there is a skull. Yeah. You know, and at some point down the road, depending on how you exit this world, um, you know, there's a possibility that, you know, uh, all the, well, not a possibility, the, the flesh will eventually leave you. Yeah. Depending on how you're buried or cremated or whatnot. Um, and there will be a skull and, you know, the likelihood is I won't ever see that skull, but, you know, potentially I could, right? There mm-hmm. are, there are bits of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I often think I don't want this to happen, but I often think like if I was ever in some sort of an accident and I had to have like a finger amputated or something, <laughs> I'd want to keep it. Okay. So, uh, so when my grandfather had gallstones removed, he was telling me the story of the gallstone removal and his spiritual process around it. My grandfather is a very spiritual man, Mm. very spiritual man. And I don't see him very often. And we don't keep in communication. But when I do see him, it's like we were never apart. We're we're very close in a a weird way. So he tells me this whole story. And then, you know, it's time for him to go. And I'm like, well, you know, it's good seeing you. And he hands me this oblong shaped thing. And I, and I thought he was handing me his gallstone because he's totally the type of guy that would like keep it. <laughs> it wasn't. It was a piece of, piece of driftwood that he just had in his pocket and felt like he should give me. But I I kept my wisdom teeth. I did spell work with my wisdom teeth. Um, you know, I think that having curios that are connected to your loved one's bodies isn't that weird. And it's becoming more and more normal. I mean, often... Not often, but it's not unusual for after a woman to give birth that she keeps the placenta and does magic with the, with the placenta. It's not exactly a bone or a curio, but it, it is in that same um, same vein of you know being connected to humans. But to go back to your point about skulls, when our beloved cat passed, I really wanted to bury him in the yard. So that as he decomposed, I might be able to have his skull. But because of where we lived and how much clay was in the backyard, there was no way we could have buried him. So we ended up having him cremated. But I definitely feel you on, you know, wanting to keep a token of a beloved, you know, with like I tried to do with Bear Claw and his skull. Yeah, know. yeah. So, you know, we've we've got some, you know, like you said, bits and pieces of our beloved's bits of fur or ashes or things like that. Your grandfather's gallstones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh. And um, <clears throat> again, for me, like there's this this um, remembrance reminder, I guess, mm-hmm. that underneath all of this wonderful, beautiful, living, thriving, warm, delicious flesh, there's you know, cold hard bone. And yeah. that that we'll all be that at some point again, you know. We we are that our entire life, but we don't see it very often, you know. Hopefully I, not. Yeah, well, you know. Um, but there is something about you know, like we have this huge ram's skull um, above our magical cabinet that was gifted uh, to me, uh, and uh, um, 
it's just this reminder and I do find a real power in a strengthening it like the animal that inhabited that skull is long gone mm-hmm. but the reminder the power the essence of, of something about the animal is still there mm-hmm. and of course I think back you know if we go back into um, the 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 British Isles and I think this is true of many other cultures as well but I know this from two cultures specifically um, in in ancient Britain they were often thought of as like a, a head cult mm-hmm. right a cult of the skull or a cult of the head uh, in battle you know gruesome as it is they would take the heads of the the vanquished foes they would wear them um, they would um you know parade them about a bit and then more reverentially for their elders for the people that died they would take these skulls and they would put them in barrows or or other ceremonial places Mm -hmm. and revere them you know it was a way to keep talking to right you know great elder bob you know like the story of bran the blessed and his head being buried at tower hill as a a guard basically Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and so there are all of these stories of these these cults of the head, mm-hmm. right? And the, the Romans wrote particularly nasty things about them, about well, about the British. Well, I know, uh. um, but m- most cultures have, you know, something like that. There is a power in sort of holding the head. The other culture that I'm very familiar with um, that, that also uses body parts. Uh, when I was uh, uh, practicing uh, Tibetan Buddhist right. many, many years. Some of the bowls mm-hmm. and the horns and some of the other ritual pieces mm-hmm. are made out of the skulls of, you know, long dead, uh, you know, Geshe's and, and Rinpoche's and, mm-hmm. and well, whatnot. You know, if you think about it, wh- where do you go? <laughs> when you, th- when you think about thinking, where do you go? You go into your head. Yeah. Most of us, I know that's not true for a hundred percent of people, but for most of us, it feels like everything that's happening is in our brains, is in our heads, and the brain does pretty much control our entire body and keep things moving and functioning, and sure. you know, so it makes sense that there's this whole ancient reverential relationship around the head and the skull, and yeah. using those pieces in a way that is either. You know, you're my enemy, so I'm going to do mean things to it. Or you are our leader, so we're going to make sure you get a beautiful ending or you keep watching out for us or whatever. There is something quite haunting, I think, uh, when I look at, when I look into skulls, like looking into the eyes, into that dark abyss or if they're lit up, you know, with a candle or something, like looking into that abyss and, and recognizing that, the thing that would have been looking out at me is no longer mm-hmm. there, at least not in the in the way I was. Um, and of course, you know, we're talking about being witches or, and, and pagans, and um, it's interesting. There are some very ancient practices that we, we probably all know about. If you think about in the, um, mostly I would say in the ancient Christian churches, so like the Celtic Christian church that was in Ireland and, and throughout Europe and um, um, certainly the Catholic uh, churches, they still, in fact, have relics, right? Mm-hmm. They have bones of the saints or, mm-hmm. or holy people. Yeah, there's people. that whole um, series. I think it tours now, I think, but it's these ancient relics that have been bejeweled basically and they're covered in these beautiful gorgeous jewels it's beautiful that there are these spiritual relics 
It's quite macabre, and I mean, elegantly yeah. macabre, yeah. right? It's wonderful. So, um, speaking of, well, you know what I was going to say that it just popped in my head. Um, it it's just goes right back to the this concept of having the animal bone connects you to that animal in some way, shape, or form. If there's this holy relic or a saint's body is enshrined or entombed and you can go and touch it or be next to it or whatever it is a way of connecting to that spiritual person oh yeah you know it's no different than someone having a a deer foot that they wear on as a piece of jewelry around their neck because they want to be connected to the deer yeah it's the same concept of having you know this holy man in a glass box that you can go and look at and feel connected to this reverence yeah so I, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions. So as we're talking in this case, really more so about like relics and, and human bones. In July or August of 2019, mm-hmm. you went to Paris. Yes. And you had a chance to go down into the catacombs. Yes. So can you explain what the catacombs <laughs> are yeah. for folks that might not know? what it was like to go through them, like what you saw. And then will you tell the story about the orchestra? Yeah. So the, the catacombs in Paris are underground tunnels and tunnels and tunnels filled with bones. And it was human human bones. bones, Yes. And it, it was at one point, you know, basically mass graves for people who were poor or unimportant enough to have a burial someplace else. And that was a lot of people. It wasn't just like poor people or or homeless people or people who, you know, didn't have money to pay for something. Most people were thrown into the catacombs. And I don't remember times because I suck at remembering years and numbers and things. It's not my forte. But at some point the city of Paris started sinking because of the amount of bodies under the city. And so I want to say in this 1800s, sure. at some point, some architect dude was like, well, we need to organize down there. And so the people of Paris were like, great, get on that. So they spent years, and the, and it still happens, but they they spent years organizing so they would, uh, they would, they digged down, dug, dug, make dig, of, dig of. yeah, they dug into the ground and they would, they were able to timeline things. So these bones are probably from the 1500s. These are probably from the 1700s, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, these people probably lived around this area. These people probably lived around this area. So the carbon dating and things like that were happening. But in the meantime, as they're like doing all of the scientific things, they're also doing some artistic things where they're making walls and walls of arm bones and shin bones and skulls. And and it's all these nameless people who, you know, except for their face being in the catacombs, their skull being in the catacombs are probably forgotten. You know, it's filled with the forgotten dead down there. Um, And it is underneath most of the city of Paris. So you can go on a tour if you go to Paris, and I highly recommend it. It was one of our favorite things in Paris. You can go on a tour and, you know, you get the little thingy, the little museum thingy that you listen to and you stop at certain numbers and it's so you're looking at the 1700s block of blah, blah, and, and it tells you some information about... What did it look like? 
It well, you, it's underground, pretty deep underground. Like, like, do you just go in a door? Is there no, a gift shop? No, you go. Or? Yeah, you enter into like a little reception room. They they ask you what language you want your little speaker box to be in, and then you walk down this tiny little staircase forever. And I had been warned ahead of time by a friend that uh, she got claustrophobic and had a panic attack. So I took a an anxiety pill before because I was worried about freaking out because you go down real far. It's deep under the ground uh, and it's dark. It, you know, it has electric lighting, but it's, it's dark and it's tunnels. It's little tunnels and you follow the path that the, that the tour leads you on, but you can see from the path you're on, you can look down to the left and to the right. And there are hundreds, thousands of other paths that are also mm. filled with bones. There are several million bones yeah. down there, right? Yeah. So in some places are, you know, like I said, it's just a whole, you know, I'm five foot six. So it's maybe seven feet tall, maybe not even, not maybe not even seven feet tall. Uh, but it, from floor to ceiling, it's a whole stack of arm bones that are all fitted together like bing, 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 you know, perfectly in rows. Uh, and that's one whole section. And then you turn the corner and it's it's um, a design of of shin bones and skulls. And they're all set up in a design. There's one where the skulls are placed in a heart shape and there's all these shin bones and arm bones around them. Um, and, you know, they have labels. They tell you what street you're underneath as you're standing there. Uh, it's very beautiful. It's uh, macabre. It's cool. It was a very hot day in Paris, but it was nice and cool down there. Oh, not cool. Like, well, that's cool. No, it is cold. cold, but it's, 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 um, it's, yeah, it's chillier because you're underground. There's one spot when you go back up to the gift shop that you can look down from the gift shop into the catacombs and see people that are on the tour. So that's kind of fun. But at the very end of the tour, the last thing you see, it looks like it kind of opens up. So you're kind of in a tunnel and the, you know, the tunnel's weave in and out and you can see lots of other tunnels i that's what i'm always curious about anytime i go to a museum or the winchester mystery house or anything i'm like what are we not getting to see like what's down that why is there a gate there i want to go that way you know that's so there's all of that but then it sort of opens up before you go back up the stairs and there is this huge it looks like an urn but it's like 10 feet tall and at least five feet wide, if not wider than that. But it's this huge urn made completely of skulls. Wow. And so at some point, I want to say in the eighteen, the late 1800s, early 1900s, maybe even the 1920s, I don't remember dates. Anyway, um, there used to be these like, well, like rave parties, right? There would be parties uh, and you wouldn't get the invitation till the last minute and it would tell you where to show up. And one of these was down in the catacombs and you had to come dressed all in um, period finery like you were going to a Halloween ball. And they had a full live orchestra down at the urn. And it was like, what is the word I'm thinking of? Like when someone does like a dance and everyone comes out of the crowd and does the dance with them. Like a flash mob. Yeah. It was like a flash mob party. It was like a rave of the time. Um, and they find after that party, they locked things up because people were going down there and, and having full live orchestra parties down in the catacombs. And I, I felt very inspired by that. I wanted to come home and recreate the urn of skulls and have my own catacomb party. Um, 
Heaven hasn't hasn't happened yet, but you know, post COVID, I have a big long list of things I'm going to accomplish. So, <laughs> so let me get this straight. Post COVID, you want to collect ten feet by five feet worth of human skulls. Yeah, I might make it a little smaller, <laughs> but the full orchestra and the come dressed. Yeah, in like your the, the masquerade ball yeah. with to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah right. I, I loved that part. That was like of all the stories I heard on the tour. That's the only one I remember. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. Um, and the cool other, you know, the other thing was it was my my daughter and I for her high school graduation, and we have French ancestry. So I don't, we're, we're not from Paris, as far as I know, but it is possible I have ancestors in those catacombs. Yeah. I don't know, but it is possible. Sure. So that was also neat to be like, our, we could have people here. Well, of all the millions of people, even if there was just somebody that was from Normandy, right. France, that lived at the same time as one of your ancestors. Or went to Paris for treatment and ended up dying yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's or, pretty fascinating. It's, it's highly possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you There's know, some, bones. some piece of your genetic material in the way back. Right, and then what was really cool is someone had written graffiti down there and it was my grandmother's name who was was born in france so i was like oh my ancestors are talking to me <laughs> you know That's i don't know amazing. that it's a common name in france but it's definitely not a common american name you yeah. know so yeah anyway that's pretty fascinating yeah bones so i like bones yeah they're, i like bones too they're fun and interesting so uh, in a related topic mm. um so you know collecting bones there's another bone that i have collected right and it's i have this huge tattoo on my back mm-hmm. of um of a, a man or a god wearing uh an antlered skull mm-hmm. and big horns and whatnot um do you have any tattoos that have skulls or or uh, bones i know you've got various birds of prey and things like that but i don't think you have any bones do you mm, i don't think so i have no no skulls. You've got some animals, bears and frogs and things like that, but no actual bones, I don't think. No, have I you? don't yeah. think so either. So I do. And I'm it, like, I don't know. I can't see them all. <laughs> so for me, like the, the image on my back is important to me from a spiritual standpoint of view. It sort of represents a, a God that I'm very attached to and the idea that he's always got my back. Uh, he's a God that's often associated with... Um, with with uh death and and rebirth and is a is a um celtic slash romano slash british god ish ish and i um so i i love having that on my back you know it's also pretty provocative if i'm around people that aren't pagan and i whip off my shirt for some reason and they look at my back and they see what looks like a big devil tattoo yeah it's very baphomet yeah yeah it's not baphomet but it's right it, it has that appearance sure to the uninitiated that's probably what they would they would think you yeah. know if well i watched. doubt they would think it was baphomet because people won't recognize the subtleties of that but they'd be like the devil yeah well you know if they've watched the chilling adventures of sabrina they might go <laughs> isn't that the and it isn't but for me again it's just this reminder that um uh, sort of you know the 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 skull the death the that that part of life is ever present mm-hmm. there's a, a tattooer uh, that I know, uh, you know as well, up in the Fort Bragg area of Mendocino County. Her name is Madame Chinchilla, and she has this amazing tattoo on her back that is uh, a woman full of life being hugged. They're in a dance with um, with a, a skeleton, mm-hmm. the facade of death. And again, that's just this 
I just I'm fascinated by that um, as a as a a metaphor for life, mm-hmm. right? Like we're always wrapped, um, we're bookended by nothingness and then nothingness and mm-hmm. you know whatever is after that, depending on your own belief system. But for me, that's I think that's why skulls are so um, evocative. And of course, you know, modern day, um, interesting little story. There are a, a great number of people that we know in the various witch and pagan communities that keep relics of their either beloveds or the mighty dead of their tradition. So again, I, I won't name names, but I know some folk that have bits of an elder's skull that's been mm, um, set mm-hmm. into a ring or into a necklace or right. um, they've got they wear the ashes of a, a beloved member of their coven in a in a vile necklace or something like that right. you know so yeah, there's i mean I, that's you know i have a collections of graveyard dirt from different places it's kind of the same thing yeah yeah but it's not not really quite the it's same not as having beloveds. the bones. No, and it's someone. not necessarily beloveds. And it's, you know, like I use that for spell work more than staying connected to that individual. Yeah, but I do, I think there's something quite powerful about knowing that if I were going into ritual and I had a ring that had, you know, a bit of the skull or jawbone or a tooth of someone in my tradition, mm-hmm. for instance, like and wearing that, like it, 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 you know, there are ways that we can sort of energetically or psychically connect to our elders that have gone before us mm-hmm. or coven mates that have gone before us. But like having the ability to sort of, you know, touch a bit of their skull or their tooth or, you know, whatever it is that you've got, their foot bone. Right. It's macabre. It's it's um, grotesque, but in that wonderful way. Well, it's, you know? it's Victorian. It is very right? Victorian, like isn't the it? The Victorians would make... Or during the Victorian era, it was very popular to have a vial that you would collect your tears in, and you would grieve over, and you would wear it like that's so macabre. Or you would uh, there, you can still find them if you're into oddities, like look these things up. But you can find pieces of art, and it's often like flowers or scenes, um, you know, monochrome scenes that are made from the hair of someone who died so they would you know take the hair off of your dead baby and they would twist it into flower patterns and different things and then that would be worn as a brooch or put on some embroidery and hung on the wall and it was very macabre yeah 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 Yeah, grieving was a whole interesting thing that happened during the victorian era can i ask you a weird question (laughs) i mean you know oh boy so uh, you know, at some point I'm going to kick off. Mm. Do you want a bit of me? I don't know. Maybe. Is that weird? Well, I don't know how you, what you want to happen. If you're going to get cremated, then sure, I'll keep some ashes or whatever. But yeah. But well, if, I, I if initially... you're going to have a green burial, then I don't know. Maybe I'll have them like cut off a pinky or something and I'll <laughs> wear it <laughs> as an earring with my pinky ring still on it. <laughs> to be a bit gross. That's just. I mean, if you I'll could, put it would in you? A little pickle jar and just carry it in my purse. Yeah. I often thought about like when some of our pets died, and we've never done this, but I often thought about thought about not taking them to the vet to be disposed of, you know, however yeah. vets do it, but um, kind of some of our friends that we know and um, articulating them. You know, oh, how yeah. they, they let all yeah. the f- flesh go away, and then they, they pin them, you know, yeah. and then you've got Fido sitting by the front door forever. Yeah. 
like it's like the opposite of taxidermy instead of stuffing the insides you take the insides out and display them yeah i think that'd be a bit weird but also kind of cool yeah i'm not i'm not looking to have your skeleton chilling at the kitchen table if that's what you mean no. i don't want the whole of me there but well, i was just thinking like would you take my skull and bash it into little pieces and then um you know like distribute it to members of our coven or something like that if that's what you want i don't i'm just curious if you would want it <laughs> Probably not. No? no. What if what if the reverse happened? What if you went first? God forbid. But what if you went first? No, that's weird. No, no but I want to be. I you know you I want, want I want a green burial. So you know, plant a tree and then eat the apples or something. If you want to have a weird macabre experience, give everybody an apple pet necklace. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, this is from Phoenix's grave. Yeah, it's fortified with Phoenix. <laughs> fortified with even more real. Yeah, Phoenix. I mean, if you wanted to like cut some hair or. Oh, yeah, I do know. You know, whatever, but for the most part, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. So speaking of hair, just as an example, because we talked about skulls, bones, antlers, we've clearly covered that subject. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also talked about curios, right? right. So um, hair is a great example of something you can use in spell work, yeah. right? So what kind of uh, things do you get up to with hair? Well... Or could you get up to? I'm I mean, it's a, it's a personal effect. So any anything that is of your body is is connected to you. It has it possesses your DNA. It is your DNA and your energetic signature. Yes. Yeah. So hair, fingernails, saliva, other fluids, any of that. Let's stay away from the fluids and just go with like well, the curio bits that you could keep same. on the counter. It's all, well, you could I keep don't a want pile of stuff on the <laughs> counter. <laughs> It's all the same. It, it holds your energetic signature. It's your DNA. So yeah. it can be used to do spell work by proxy. Yeah. So, you know, do with that what you will. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Name a, uh, let's just say, what kind of spell work might you do with that if you were less impressed with someone? Like, what would you use their hair for? Well, you could make them you could curse someone with their hair you could get them to move away you could do all kinds of things to someone if you had access to their personal effects it's interesting so uh, both phoenix and i have been initiated into several different traditions collectively over the years a couple of them together and, and other times not um but in at least a couple of those initiations personal effects have been collected yeah it's it's a pretty typical part of an initiation ritual for your personal effects to be taken by the coven and by personal or effects we mean like maybe a piece of your hair or a fingernail or blood yeah. or something yeah it's that's pretty common i, I don't know that of any initiation where there isn't some form of well, that well not a good one anyway because it's you know <laughs> it is a it's a representation of saying that you know you are part of this group now and that is a serious undertaking. Yeah, and, blood, breath, and bone, yeah. And we trust you to keep our secrets, and you trust us to keep your personal effects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think about it. There was one group that we were both initiated into 15 years ago or so now. And while we thoroughly enjoyed our time there from a learning perspective, it was not the right fit for either of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still very grateful for the lessons that I learned there and carry those with me, but it's not a tradition I practice anymore um fleetingly maybe every now and again i think of you know one of the practices from there but i think that was the first time that they that my hair was collected right like ritually Mm -hmm. you know and i think about it like my grandmother had a locket of 
someone's hair. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. was very common. But that was the first time somebody had cut like my hair mm-hmm. and kept it. And I remember you being like, oh. Yeah, I wasn't cool with it. I wasn't cool with it then and I'm still not cool with it now. And I've done a lot of things to mitigate that choice that I made for that particular yeah, group yeah yeah because yeah, you know then the other side of that is you know my former mother-in-law is Native American and she goes to get her hair cut at a native or at a, at a salon and she won't let them sweep up her hair she does it herself and she takes it with her Be- for that same reason yeah. she doesn't want to leave bits of her there no yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the hair is a big deal and then she burns it in the sweat lodge fire. You know, huh. it's, it's, you don't leave your hair around. And she would get really mad if other people cut their hair. <laughs> you know, she would cut her hair because she was a farmhand and, you know, needed to be able to work without having all this hair in her way. But if anyone else cut their hair, you you had hell to pay. Wow. No cutting hair. Yeah. All right. So there's, <laughs> there's one other thing that I uh, wanted to talk about. It is a curio. It's it's actually, it's a fluid, but it still sort of fits in this uh, topic. Mm. You have got something in our magical cabinet that's quite rare and I think expensive. Beavergall? Yeah, Beavergall. (laughs) So first of all, what is Beavergall? What's it used for? And why the fuck do you have it? I've got like six vials of Bavergall. I should probably just like sell it or give it away or whatever, but I just having a hard time separating it from it. Bavergall is beaver musk. And what, what is musk? Isn't that piss? No, it's like it's other fluids. Right. It's not urine. It's other fluids. It's what their musk is. Uh, it comes and and I'm going to say something and then as I'm saying it, I, I'm going to, I don't know that this is true. So I have a Swedish folk teacher and when he came here to the United States to do some workshops, he brought Bavergal with him and he said it's beaver musk from Sweden. But are there beavers in Sweden? I'm like just now starting to question this. I, I don't know. Now I don't know. Maybe never, never had Swedish beaver. A maybe it's not a beaver. Maybe it's something else. It's some sort of animal musk. Yeah. But it's used in as a as a curio in in Swedish folk magic. It's a yeah. It's mostly in love magic. It's, it's sort used. of aphrodisiacal, right? Yeah, and and it's. It is not something to mess around with. Like, if you spill that shit, you will be smelling it forever. And it's one of those scents that you smell it and you either really love it or you are absolutely repulsed by it. It's it's not a, oh, that's okay. People are either like, mm, yeah, I like that, or oh, God, that is disgusting. Yeah, it is funky. It Yeah, it is. And it is strong. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and I love it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. And I know it, but it's I like not it for too. everyone. Yeah. No, and I'm pretty sure, like, I have vials of I have several vials of it. I'm pretty sure it's expensive. It's like $50 a vial. Oh, God, yeah. That's why I was like, maybe we should just sell it. But, you know, yeah. I don't, I actually don't even know if it's legal for me to have. Right. Because it, you know, was imported in a Swedish man's suitcase from Sweden. So we're just lying about this whole thing? If, uh, <laughs> I I'm not really uh, concerned no. about it. But so uh, what's so Beavergall? It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, potentially beaver musk. It is Bevergal. It's used for love magic primarily yeah. because it's it's you know got a lot of pheromones and musk. It's Any, musky. Anything that's so from a per, a lot of 
magical curios, if you look at what they're used for for mundane purposes, it will give you information. Mm. What is animal musk used for? It's used in perfumes. What are perfumes used for? They're used to disguise your your funk human scent and give you a aphrodisiacal scent to lure the uh, your specific desire to you, right? So there you go. Any musk is used in love work. Except for Elon Musk. I don't know what he's used for. <laughs> I don't know what he's used for either. Um, Going to space and making Teslas. Um, and genocide, I think. I think so. involved with that. Yeah, maybe. So moving yeah. on from that, uh, <laughs> that, that took a weird diversion. Well, you started it. I know, that's the way I am. So anyway, uh, beaver gall, uh, you've got beaver some. Beaver gall. Beaver It's smelly. <laughs> Uh, in a wonderful way, yeah. But it is a—it's a—it's a curio, right? It's a, again, it's an effect from a, yes. from an animal. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. So we've talked about skulls, bones, antlers, bits and pieces of animals, things you can do with them. The the idea of collecting them ethically. So again, if you are a hunter and you're out doing the various things that you do, maybe you keep a piece of what you've hunted. And if you are not somebody that's into hunting, maybe you find an antler or a bone somewhere about your travels. And obviously you can leave it where it's at and just appreciate it for what it is in its natural environment. Maybe take a picture of it and leave it there. Or if you collect it or if it's been gifted to you, um, you can work with it magically uh, in some way, learn what you can about that animal, where it lived, perhaps how how it might have died, um, and then um, um, revere it in s- some way as yeah. you use it in your magic. Yeah, and you can, you know, connect to the spirit of an animal without having bits of that animal. Oh, yeah, of and, course, yeah. You know, p- printing off a picture or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, you said you highly recommended going to uh, the catacombs in Paris once yeah. people can, you know, freely move about the cabin again. Yes. But I am curious, like, do you just, like, in general, isn't there a, there's a museum display that goes around called, like, the Body Beautiful or Bodies in Motion that's actual bodies that have been, that you can see bits and pieces of, like, on display? Do you think it's generally healthy uh, for folks to to visit, um, relics or, or um, uh, see other, uh, you know, sort of the bones of the dead? I think it is if you aren't squeamish to such things. Yeah. You know, if you have a sensitivity or if you um, are bothered by, you know, if death isn't something that you're interested or curious about, it could be triggering. It could and be, I'm sure also if you're vegan, you like know? having yeah. skulls around the house is probably yeah. not great. And, you know, it, it, it's like going to the catacombs as an example. It's human. That is us. That is what it is. And and you can't look at it. Like I've been using the word puritanical repression a lot the last couple of weeks. She has. It's true. It's so weird. But, you know, we in the United States especially are influenced by puritanical repression, whether we are cognizant of it or not. Yeah. It is the ancestry of the colonization in this country, the, sure. the puritanical presence. Uh, and so a lot of like the overculture Christianity and all of that is really influenced by the Puritans. In the U.S. That's what I mean specifically, in the U.S. And so you have to divorce all of that. Like, don't let that stupid overculture bullshit 
mess with your head. We all die. We all turn into dust. We all are bones. And going into the catacombs, and this is a this is a letter of love to these unknown people who are dead. It's not. Um, it's not disgusting. It's not cruel. It's not doing it, uh, injustice to those that are dead. Do you know what it would be if you just let them there in piles? Yeah. You know, so. there is something, you know, you write in the, in the uh, walking in beauty in mm-hmm. your book, you know, this idea that there is, there's beauty in, in all the chaos and the madness. And, uh, you know, we have a choice in life to embrace those things and find the beauty in them or be repulsed by them. Right. Right. And I think that turning, a million skulls and forearm bones and shin bones into art as a way to memorialize those folk. I don't think that's desecration, right? Yes. To me, like you said, leaving them uh, unknown, unviewed Yes, might be. So, yeah, there is there is something about that. So, just so you know, I've been looking at Bay Vergal since we were talking. Of course you have. And I have found a website that talks about Bay Vergal it's only in Swedish, so I had to copy and paste it into Google Translate so I could figure out what the heck it was saying. That's always reliable. Ba- basically, it is from Beaver Gills. Who even knew Beaver had gills? And it is Swedish. How fascinating. Uh, it was once a, po- a previously sought-after natural remedy. Remedy. It contains salicylic acid. Oh. Um, and that is why... Beaver hunting was outlawed in Sweden because they were basically hunting beavers to extinction. Hmm. Uh, Gallet is one of the four fragrances from the animal kingdom used in the perfume industry. Hmm. So there you go. It is from Sweden. From Swedish beavers. And it originates from beavers that are imported from Norway. Oh, interesting. Norwegian beavers. There you go, folks. The beavers of my people. We, we, we've we <laughs> learned about skulls, antlers, and everything we wanted to know about um, Norse beavers. Bavergall. Okay. If, I think on that If note, you want to smell some Bavergall, send me an email and we'll talk. There you go. <laughs> if you'd like to smell Phoenix's... Don't. Collection of <laughs> musky scents. Don't be rude. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say about skulls? Well, you know, we talked about bones and oh, yeah. we talked a little bit about curios. Yeah. But w- one of the things that is not a bone and not a curio and yet also a bone and a curio are shells. And you said nothing about shells. Oh, go on then. No, yeah. no. I want you to say things about shells. Um, well, where we live here in uh, Northern California, there are frequently abalone shells mm-hmm. uh, that are about and they can be used ceremonially or have been used ceremonially by um, the peoples that populated and still populate these lands. Mm-hmm. Coastal Miwok people mostly. Yeah. Um, not exclusively and, and not only First Nations people have used skulls, uh, 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 shells, or, but in this area, that was yeah. very common. Um, uh, you know, collecting shells is something I think we all do as kids, right? And again, we have to realize that those are the, you know, mollusks mm-hmm. are a living thing, you know, so clams and mussels and, you know, things like that. Uh, oysters, mm-hmm. which are plenty of here. Um, uh, so, yeah, shells are uh, also used. And again, you can use them as bowls, depending mm-hmm. on the size of them, necklaces, 
Some um, of the first candles ever are, were found in Greece, mm-hmm. and they were shells that had been filled with tallow and then had a little bit of fabric put in it, yeah. and it would burn slowly like a candle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, they, I mean, they can be used for all sorts of things, right? Containers. There's always that, that lovely piece of magic we all do as kids, right? When you first go to the seaside for the very first time and you grab a seashell and you hold it up to your ear to hear the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always an interesting way to connect to where that came from. Yeah. You know? it's a, I think it's a, unlike bones, which can connect you to earth, right? But I feel like shells connect you to water, more than bones connect you to earth and maybe that's just me and my own personal mm. feelings about it but yeah. it just seems like a shell is such a physical like you can't hold water in your hand at least not for very long mm. but you can hold a shell in your hand which is a physical representation of a liquid thing yeah. you know yeah yeah and I always, as a kid, thought of shells as, as a home, as something's home. Yeah, like hermit crabs yeah, things like that. Right? Well, even, you know, even things that it's not, it doesn't work that way, you know, as a kid, to me, it was like everything that lived in a shell was like a snail. Right. And, you know, it was carrying all of its things in its back like a... Its house. Yeah. It's like a little a, tiny home. Like a little caravan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so shells. Um, like a tiny home, is that what you just said? Yeah, like a tiny home. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's just Bones, room for one in shells, my curios. And there's a book by Michelle Jackson called Bones, Shells, and Curios. It's not about bones, shells, and curios, mm-hmm. but it is about how to do divination with bones, shells, and curios, which is, it's a really great book. It's a, it's a American folk hoodoo, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, folk magic hoodoo. Yeah. Yeah, which stems... Um, primarily from the African diaspora, although it's mixed in with, yeah. with other well, folk. Yeah, reading shells, doing cowrie shell divination is a full African um, divination system. So mm. the bone shells and curio, um, uh, reading the bones, as it's sometimes called, is a whole modernization of that. And Michelle Jackson, like she's not the only one that does it, but I've had a reading yeah, from her too. and I've seen her workshops many times and I I got to proofread her book. So, you know, I feel like I have a like a really close understanding of her process. But Michelle Jackson does readings that you like you can go to her website and go to get a Skype reading and she'll lay the bones out for you and read the whole the whole thing. She's developed this whole beautiful system and it's remarkably right on she is very talented so i always like to anytime curios come up i like to give michelle jackson a little plug she's awesome yeah she is amazing and it's funny because some of the curios that she's got are not all animal bits there are bits of bones but there's like marbles or a a wheat penny or there's a a bracelet yeah there's all sorts of bits and pieces that she's collected over the years that go into her bone set and it's you know it's this idea of curios reading curios right is a personalized system so a, a bit of shell might mean one thing to me and a different thing to you. So you collect these small bits and bobs to create your own divination system. It's pretty neat. Yeah, I actually found my beginning bone collection oh, uh, really? when, I, when we were moving. And I was going through, I was like, what's in here? You know, you always get pouches and bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And I opened it and was like, oh, this is my bone reading. I was fascinated by bone reading for yeah. quite some time. Yeah. Um, not remotely expert at it, not even a novice at it, but I was fascinated by it enough that I wanted to start to learn more about it. It's really good practice for your flexing your intuitive muscles because mm-hmm. it, it is purely personal. Yeah. It's not a system that someone else can tell you how to do it. 
Right, right. They can tell you the methodology behind it, but it's it's yeah. your own. It's your yeah. own. So there's another way to use bones and skulls and shells mm-hmm. and curios and antlers. You can use it as a divination tool as well. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. All right, Phoenix, we are just about at time. Any okay. last things that you want to say about bones? I like them. Excellent. And on that <laughs> note, <laughs> the profound and ever-wise Phoenix LeFay. Well, you know. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody, for <laughs> listening into The Witches Next Door. We'll be back next time with a topic to be disclosed probably um, moments before we, we get go on, on air. Yeah. yeah. All right. Be well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.